first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room. You know, we cover the galaxy, of course, and we're going to be beaming up Kirsty Miller from New South Wales, Australia, in just a few minutes. But Carly, first, there's some news coming from the planet Utah that is just out of this world. Oh, well, which one? Utah's had a, quite a week in the news. Was it was it the lady who was like, was the lady who was, quote unquote, indecent within the confines of their own home? Or was it the young black kid who was arrested and handcuffed just for watching his high school basketball team? Take your pick. And then you have the law, then you have the law that's going to affect transgender people more than anything. Okay, which one is it in Utah? There's so many of these right now that it's hard to really keep, it's hard to keep track of the number of ways that they want to try and erase us out of public life. So a lot of states, I would say there are more than a dozen right now, have bills that directly affect transgender Americans. Utah is one that has a bill that's being worked on that would prevent children from receiving any kind of hormone treatment. Apparently, puberty blockers may be allowed in Utah, but South Dakota wants to completely ban all kind of transgender treatments. And there are some states that were actually going to jail doctors just for treating a transgender patient. And yes, then I believe have- Tennessee's got, Tennessee's looking at that law. Georgia's talked about it. There's a number of those. South Dakota, that's been talked about within their law as well. And, and Idaho plans to be the seventh state to target transgender athletes. They want to make it so that it's against the law for a trans girl to compete as a woman or as a girl because they want her to compete as a boy according to her birth gender. Oh, great. So so an, yet another state that wants their own Mac bags. Nice going, you Idaho. I mean, and notice... None of the, now, for example, the law that the law that they were talking about in, um, for example, the law they're talking about in New Hampshire right now, which is under the same vein. Notice they say that, oh, transgender boys can compete any way they want. They're not even talked about in the law. This is strictly about this is strictly about girls. That's right. And, and as you've mentioned, we've had people from Connecticut travel up to New Hampshire to uh, make the case that it's unfair to women and to girls for trans athletes to compete. No one seems to be talking about what's fair to transgender athletes. Why don't they get fairness? Why would they have to be uh, forced to do something that isn't natural? I just don't oh. understand. Oh, come, fair fairness to trans people? Oh, perish the thought, Don. <laughs> no, well, I'll please, tell you, yeah, these laws are ridiculous all the way around. I mean, they've been proven, I mean, but the one that really scares me right now, the one that scares me the most is this law in South Dakota. And and one reason and one thing about what's happening in South Dakota is yesterday or rather a few days ago, rather, they had the deliberations on the law. You know, the people speaking for and against. Uh huh. They had basically it was 16 for 16 for the for this bill, 16 in opposition of the 16 people that spoke supporting this bill. Not a single one was from South Dakota. All out-of-towners. Yeah, not the same. And they were the usual heavy-hitting out-of-towners. You know, the people from like that, mm-hmm. like those groups, like the American College of Pediatricians, the right-wing hit group, mm-hmm. uh, people representing places like Focus on the Family. You know, all the all the Activists. big money K. Yeah, yeah, all the big money K Street K Street anti-trans hit groups. I'm not going to call them activists. As an activist, that gives activists a bad name. <laughs> but the 16 people who spoke in, who spoke against this, op- who opposed this legislation. All of them were from the state of South Dakota. Well, I'll tell you this. Point out. Let that sink in. And also, big note, big ups to Libby Scarn with the ACLU in South Dakota yes. for fighting the good for fighting the good fight. Libby, yes, we're shouting you out today because you're fighting. You've been fighting the good fight against a lot of this in South Dakota the last few years. 
And I think there, she's a name people people need to put respect on her name for what she's doing. So oh. Libby, good on you. And we'll give you a kudos in the Facebook page for the transporter room. I'll send a link on how you can support the ACLU in South Dakota. So Carly, this is not just a national problem. This is not just an American problem. This is a worldwide problem. Bigotry does not know boundaries. I know yeah. that you have always wanted to speak to a certain person. So I've set coordinates for New South Wales, Australia. Let's go down under. Is that where we're going? We're going to get Kirsty Miller. Beam her up to the transporter room. Kirsty, can you hear us? Very excited. Very excited to be here, Carly and Dawn, at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're recording this here at 11.40 in the morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time, and 3.40 a.m. in Australia. I'm sorry about that. I wish we could have found another way to do this. <laughs> no, I, well, I've actually learned through Twitter life to, to be awake at these hours because not many Aussies are in this conversation, so the only people that are awake are you guys up in the Northern Hemisphere, so this is my day now. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so the uh, listeners and people who are watching us on Facebook can find out about who you are. I mean, we've all seen you on social media, but tell us your, tell us your story. Wow. Um, well, I describe myself as a, a transitioned woman. I was born in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, as a as a boy, a, a, a Warren Junior, the only son, um, and and my dad was really excited and and had high expectations to be you know his little man and but I knew from a very 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 early age that that I was different inside. I actually knew from about three and a half years of age, and. and People say to me, how would you remember things at three and a half years of age? Well, every one of us, every human being in this world remembers one or two things in their life for every year, a specific event at Christmas. Well, back at three and a half years of age, my parents, for a joke, put me in a yellow frilly dress and held me down in the hallway and, and took me out in, into the backyard with a party full of many, many people there and and everyone laughed at me, right? Everyone laughed. But I knew even at that time that I was a girl and people were laughing at me. And that that, that incident evolved into a 30-year nightmare I had every day of my life of people laughing at me. And, and so, yeah, I, I grew up as a trapped inside the wrong body. The, you know, that's what I was told back then and or what I read. There, was, there wasn't much information back in the 1960s and 70s and 1980s, you know, it's only been since social media and that, that language has even evolved, you know, but, you know, I was trapped inside this little boy's body and had no one ever to talk to about it. So I manned up and I manned up in a big way in, in sport. You know, I went on it and, and excelled in every sport I did in, that involves strength or endurance. I was a champion swimmer, a state record holder and state champion in many states in New South Wales and around Australia and in 1979 I entered a sport called Aquathon which is a five kilometre run and a 800 metre swim and I, I ended up winning a world title under 19 title in that at 14 years of age and so by the time I was 15 I'd represented Australia in my second sport modern pentathlon and and you know all the time doing this I was suffering this gender dysphoria by myself and I went on and kept manning up and and got married very young and and become a prison officer, you know. And and I I, I, be, I was a real tough prison officer, you know. And I, and I was a dad and and I worked my way through the ranks very quickly and and I, I become a prison governor and one of the youngest one ever and the the first governor appointed Australia's very first Indigenous Pacific Correctional Complex. Um, and then I came out as transgender when I was the governor of the local prison out here. So that, you know, it was back in the year 2000. So that did was you, big Did news. you compete in sports during that time too, before you transitioned? Yes, yes. I was competing in sport. Um, I, 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 my athletic career, my pentathlon and my aquathons, I finished in the mid-80s after competing in many, many world titles and Pan American Games and 
I would have been, I was a certain selection for the 84 games in Los Angeles, but I had a motorbike crash, which damaged my chances there. But And then I went on and, and went back and played rugby league. Um, I was a tough little hawker. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was actually about 100 kilograms at the time. I was the toughest guy on the field. Um, people say, what were you used to be, Kirsty? And I go, a hawker. And they go, oh, my God. And I go, yeah, I had number 12 on my back. And they go, they even give you numbers? And I said, no, I'm talking about rugby league, you know, not the hookers down the street. But, um, yeah, so I, I really excelled at everything I did and, and become a father and a, and, and a very happy husband, you know, and happy marriage. But still this gender dysphoria wouldn't go away. It was, I was living in silence, you know, in a cellular confinement. Like, I've managed prisons and I've seen inmates placed in cellular confinement and I've seen how tough it is for them and, and like it's, living inside your own body is even smaller than a maximum security prison cell that I've seen, you know. Yeah, well, the irony no is escape. you working in a prison and actually living in your own prison at the same time. That's My prison was far stricter than any max. And I, 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 I worked in the maximum security high unit in Goulburn. With, with the most hardened criminals, you know, and none of those jail cells were as rigid as what was inside my body. Like young Warren growing up with the expectations of being Warren Jr. and, you know, and this sporting champion in, in, in my town. I was a household name in my town. Like Warren growing up was, everyone knew him. Everyone wanted to be him. The girls wanted to marry him. And, and I was, you know, the sporting champion and, and like, but I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror, you know, and, and I had the ultimate body as a, I had a man's body at 14 years of age. Sadly, I went through puberty very young. So my, my, my life was pretty much damaged at that age going through that puberty because I was built like Ian Thorpe at 14 years of age and represented Australia in two open men's sports at 14 years of age, all whilst trapped inside my own body, you know. So mm. puberty blockers will save lives, not damage lives. You know from Truly. experience. No, true. Yeah. Repeat that for the people in the back who believe that, tra oh, no, those puberty blockers are going to harm kids. Ooh. Um, no, well, I mean, you know, Carly, they're not just used for trans kids, you know. The, the, this medication is used for cisgender children that are going through, you know, the early onset of puberties and stuff and for different health reasons, you know, and it's like there's so much irrational fears that and the people that are being given the loudest voices are the deers in the headlights, not the people that are the true experts in this conversation, people like us. We're the ones that should be leading this. We're the ones that have lived and breathed this from day dot, you know, like there's been trans people here in Australia for 65 years million years you know that they, they were here with the indigenous population Australia's first nations you know that captain cook coming here didn't bring the first drag queens or trans people or you know <laughs> they were here like way before that you know we, we, we're not a new thing it's just social now, media is a new thing now one thing right where the level of progress has been in australia i I know this much. There has been there there has been in recent years a no a lot of national legislation that's gone toward trans rights. I know that, for example, the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport, has has in a lot of ways trailblazed along with a lot of the governing bodies in Australia to to essentially put the to put the policies in place. Where is Australia in terms of this progress now? Australia is two hundred years ahead of you guys. You know, like we've come a long way, a long, long way in the last 15 years in Australia. But with each victory, there's always damage, you know. It's like for an older trans woman like myself, it's like living a groundhog existence because Australia has six different states and two territories, unlike your 50-odd, you know. And mm -hmm. each state has a different set of rules, like in America. They had federal guidelines and such. So when there's a law reform in Western Australia, all of Australia trans people feel the debate, you know, and then when it's in South Australia. So it's like living a groundhog existence. We keep going over and over the same rhetoric, the same 
people try and overturn it. But luckily in Australia, we've got enough good people that are, are listening to the real people in this conversation. And Australia now has several states that has taken away gender reassignment as a prerequisite to amend your birth certificate. Tasmania, it has um, now that you can have a gender neutral option on your birth certificate. Victoria just passed recent legislation, but in sport, we are definitely leading the way. Um, in sport, we've developed last year the, the federal guidelines for trans and gender diverse people. Um, and, and this was a massive consultative approach, the Australian sports, the Australian human rights, in, in consultation with the five major sports in Australia, i.e. the Rugby League, um, the AFL, the Australian Football League, the Rugby, Australian Rugby Union, um, Australian Soccer and, and Cricket. And, and also they included a lot of trans people and a lot of other stakeholders. Everyone was included and it wasn't a, a, a quick meeting or a, a court case. It was people talking about these issues, you know, and, and I don't know how many thousands of papers and that I hounded everyone, you know, I wanted everyone to know the truth in this stuff. And, and but Australian Sports Commission, they listened and the major sports have listened and it's been embraced big time, you know, and it, it didn't come from the top, the policy development down. It came from the grassroots of sport, people saying we need policies to help because we've got a young trans person in our community. How can we make them feel safer? So the grassroots of sport in Australia were yelling at the, the Australian Sports Commission, please help us develop a policy. And this is what we've done and this is what we've implemented. And with that policy, that's not the end of the, the end of the line. It's a working document, you know, and it's going to be reviewed. And but it's been embraced by Australian swimming, Australian hockey, Australian water polo, rugby league, the AFL. Have all embraced the federal guidelines, you know, and it's it's amazing. Australian cricket have just come out recently with what I believe to be the number one, the best policy for trans people in any sport in the world, where they now allow at the community level pretty much this self-ID, what they say, the, the woke word of the UK, um, <laughs> you know, so that they do allow people without hormone treatment or gender reassignment. But it's there can be modifications to the game or they can be, you know, placed in different grades. There's monitoring of all. It's such a... A brilliant policy and if people would just have a look at it and, and if we can replicate something similar around the world you know it's going to be a really big thing Percy, so i'm really i'm proud to be an aussie at the moment in transport i, I think and i think it's a hat, tip of the hat to you you could have just transitioned and lived your life i mean you already had gone through so much loss but now to be an activist tell us what that's cost you in terms of being out on the front lines fighting for transgender rights Oh, well, um, I really didn't become a, an activist until 2013. And, and the reason why was um, I became the first trans girl to play Australian Rules football here in Australia, first openly trans girl. And I did that in Broken Hill. Now, where I did it in Broken Hill, you've got to think it's it's a home of BHP. It's a mining capital of Australia. It's like a rough town. And, and me being the first trans girl, I expected some flack, but I didn't expect what happened. And, and I played about my fifth game. I got vilified on the field. I got accused of having AIDS. My opponents, my, my, um, the coaches, the officials from the other team, the crowd were yelling out things like, don't tackle that thing, you'll get diseases. Show us your cock. Um, and I immediately went off the field and, and I wrote a report. And the first thing I wrote, you know, was please don't punish anyone. I don't want anyone to ever get in trouble for what happened today. That's all I wanted, number one. And number two, I wanted education, right? And number three, I didn't care if I didn't play again, right? Number three, I just didn't want that to ever happen again to someone else, you know? And what happened then was the abuse eventually went from the field to the community. And there was a young, and this is where my activism started, right? 
there was actually a young trans person at the time who still hasn't come out today because they're a young local person here, but they were a witness at this incident, right? And I was the only person in the world that this young 13-year-old trans girl had come out to. And this young young trans girl is a star in the, in the football club that was there vilifying me. Their family were vilifying me. Their football coaches were vilifying me. And this young trans person in 2013 said they were going to die. They said, look how tough you are, Kirsty, and look what happened to you. What chance have I got? And I said, I won't leave this until we all can play football and that doesn't happen again. And here we are today. So that's, yeah. Sorry, I got a bit teary there. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm holding back tears myself. You think about how many people saw you as a role model and I'll, I'll relate to you this. I had a trans woman who decided not to transition tell me that I was her anti-role model. And I said, what do you mean I'm your anti-role model? She said, well, all the mistakes you made, all the terrible things that happened to you when you came out, it scared me and it taught me not to make those mistakes. So I thought, okay, well, at least I, I was able to teach her something by you know, suffering those terrible slings and arrows. But at the same time, it, it saddened me to think that what happened to me caused her to think, I'm not gonna do this. Now, eventually, she did come out. It just took her a lot longer. Because she yeah. saw the, the, the terrible ways people treat girls like us. And, uh, you know, trans men go through a similar uh, social uh, upheaval. But it's very interesting that trans men generally are surprised to find out that they're no longer identified as queer, that people accept them as men, um, and that uh, they don't receive the same uh, punishment for being true to yourself that trans girls do. Yes. Carly, knows, Carly yes. knows a little bit about that. I was with Carly when she changed her name last year. Yeah. And Carly has Carly has made tremendous strides towards uh, living an authentic life. Carly's mm. gorgeous. Is that? Thank you. She is. One thing I want to know is that, Kirsty. one thing I do want to know is because, like, one thing you did for a while in Broken Hill, you drove a cab. Now, how many... How many minds, how many wannabe David Clarks did you convert in Broken Hill while driving that cab? Um, yes, I the, David. the whole town, the whole city. Um, without a doubt, Broken Hill, before I started driving a taxi cab in 2013, was the most transphobic, homophobic town in the world. Um, and, and if you look at uh, the, the, the famous movie, uh, um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, that's mm -hmm. the home of Broken Hill. And if you re remember the fictional scene in the movie where the profanities were written on the bus? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's just down the road here in Broken Hill, right? And that, that fictional scene was a true indication of what Broken Hill was really like still in 2013, right? Wow. The profanities on the bus, AIDS fuckers go home, was yelled at me on the football field. Don't tackle that thing, you've got AIDS. Don't tackle that thing, you'll get diseases, right? And so what me and my partner, Nikki, my most gorgeous partner, Nikki, she, me and her, we thought, we're not going to run away because I'd run away for the two years before that. I'd become homeless and I'd run away from everything. And, and I thought, that's it, I'm not running anymore. I'm going to teach every one of these people just all about that I'm a human being. There's more to me than being trans, you know? And I thought, what, not, what a better way than get our taxi license. So Nikki and I, we got our cab license and we started driving the, you know, the drunks around. And I was the first <laughs> ever trans taxi driver in Australia. And, <laughs> and like, so I started picking up these minors and I started picking up these young girls and I started picking up I actually had the captain of the Adelaide Crows Football Club, one of the major Australian Rules Football Leagues here, and a local guy. I had him very early on when I started driving, and when he got in with three other big, burly footballers, I didn't know who he was. He ran down his window at the front of the football club who vilified me and yelled out, oh, look here, boys, I'm getting driven by Kirstie Miller, the fucking tranny. Ha, 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 look at her. So I turned that, that fair into an opportunity to, to educate Taylor and his mates. They wanted to go left. I went right. And I took them right out of town. 
And, and, and I started talking. You're not supposed to do that as a taxi driver, you know. <laughs> I know. And like these are three big guys. These are like huge, big, rough guys, right? And in the back with Big Taylor, he's like six yeah. foot six. And and I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to teach them a lesson, you know. They're going to listen to Kirsty. So I started telling them about my, my sporting life. And very soon they realized that, hey, hang on, she's a jock, right? She knows about sport. She's pretty good. So we had a common denominator. And then I started mm-hmm. talking about this and that and then about women. Then they go, oh, have you always been gay? And I said, only since I've been with a girl. And they're like, oh, cool. So we had another common denominator, you know. So, yeah, so that was one fear. But, you know, there's 21,000 people in Broken Hill, and I guarantee myself and Nikki have driven every one of them, you know, and every one of them has been educated. And, and now, without a doubt, Broken Hill in 2020, without a doubt, is the safest, the most inclusive. This town here, the biggest festival for 100 years was a St. Patrick's race meeting. You know what it is now after 120 years? The mm. Broken Hill Festival. Not Broken Hill, H-I-L-L, Broken Hill, H-E-E-L. <laughs> it's a drag festival. Oh. It's now really cool to be Kirsty in Broken Hill. Like if you're a trans kid in Broken Hill, this is where you want to be. So come and migrate over here. You can buy a house here for about $40,000. It's really cheap. It's like you can be whoever you want to be in Broken Hill. And that was... Without a doubt, Nikki and I, and it wasn't all easy street. Like, I'd been assaulted a number of times mm. in the cab. I was indecently assaulted. You know, and it, I beat up a few too. Don't worry, I won a couple. You know, I was going to say, you, you probably give as good as you got, right? Yeah, you know, I, I did. One of the things you're known for on Twitter is that you really do work at educating. Where did you get all your information about transition and about the, the physical body because you know there's a lot of misinformation out there the phrase i hate the most the one that just drives me crazy is biological male i am not a biological Ew. male you're not a biological male neither is carly we're women and we are transgender and the people who don't like us are cisgender and i just wish people would just stick to terms but tell me where you got your your education in this whole area of uh trans science it started in about 1969 um, when I could first read or write. Or I had two passions in life, two things that I was very passionate about. Um, the first thing, obviously, was to find out everything I could about being trans because I knew I was. So from that age, I'm a, I'm a prolific reader. I've got pretty much a photographic mind when I read stuff. And so it's been a passion of mine. And then also sport being... You know, so also the sports. I've read this stuff and lived and breathed as an international athlete myself. I'm not talking as a, a deer in the headlights here. And unfortunately, voices like mine are often ignored or, or airbrushed by, by, by people like Ross Tucker. Like, he should be begging to speak to people like us that have lived and breathed these changes and lived and breathed them as a, an elite athlete. Like, people like myself are quite unique in this conversation, you know. They keep saying that trans athletes were just mediocre men. Well, Kirsty wasn't mediocre. I beat every man in the world, <laughs> you know. She wasn't mediocre at all. So I have lived and breathed these, and I felt the changes very quickly when I transitioned, you know. Can, like, can you describe it, those? Can you, can you walk us through a little bit of that? Because there is a lot of criticism that uh, trans women athletes are just men who want to win a trophy, that they're transitioning to be able to take a trophy. <laughs> yeah, we haven't done very good at it, have we? Um, well, 1999 was my last game of first grade rugby league, right? And I was about 103 kilograms. I was a front row forward and and I was like still the toughest, strongest on the team. And in early 2000, I started taking estrogen and I started being prescribed Andrika, my T-blocker and, and also progesterone. Well, and I, I, at that time, I was still, like I said, I'd just finished playing the season of football and I was still actively swimming. I could still do a 59 seconds, 100 metres freestyle, which is not bad at that age. Um, Moving at but, any age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was a lot quicker but in my teens, but 
I noticed like a lot of changes very quickly within about probably two or three weeks. I found that my body temperature was very different. Yeah, you know, I was getting a lot colder at times, and and then I noticed my smell was different, and then I noticed <laughs> I was getting little yeah little blossoms in my test, and there was like many things that you couldn't see were changing. You know, fat distribution too. Sure, yeah, fat distribution, and but one of the things that were changing was. I was getting really tired, really <laughs> tired, and things that were things that were easy to lift were hard to lift, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I was working as a prison governor where I used to be able to throw six inmates over my shoulder. I I couldn't even, you know, push them out any of them out of the road. I lost my my strength and the endurance, particularly very very quickly. Right. You know, when I was swimming fifty nine seconds within twelve months, I was battling seventy seconds. Wow. My recovery rates, because people think that trans are trans women can, are, are just superhuman. That if you take away all our testosterone in our body, down to the level of mine is point zero two of an animal. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't have went through a transition, right, mine would be up around the twenty eight to twenty nine nanomoles. My normal. That's and and that's a critical thing. My normal, because everyone's normal is. They're normal. And the difference between an XY normal T level and an XX T level, we're talking apples and and oranges, you know. So if you reduce the testosterone level of an XY girl like us, right, that's Mm -hmm. our main androgen in our body. If you reduce it on an XX female, not so much because testosterone is not their main androgen, it's human growth hormones, and they get a double kick. So... It's just totally ridiculous that people ignore the science. The science is there. Google what happens to males who suffer hypogonadism. Any XY person with unhealthy T levels, that's not conducive to be an athlete. Sure, many trans people even say, Kirsty, what are you talking about? You wouldn't understand unless you're an athlete. What mm-hmm. I'm talking about is being an athlete because when you're an athlete, your actual T levels rise. Yeah. Our T levels are suppressed. Like in a cisgender woman, their T levels will rise so high that in in very, very common for them to stop getting their menstrual cycle and not being able to conceive for many, many years after. Whereas the girls like us that have either been surgically or chemically made to reduce our levels to minute levels, like people say, the, the minimum in males is 10, right? The normal healthy range. That's got nothing to do with it. It's what we were to start with as an individual first. As an individual, so my normal. So if I was normally at 30 and down to 0.2, have a look at the science, right? There's research, there's... Just take the words transgender away. Forget Rachel, forget Hannah, forget Dawn, forget... Kirsty, forget all those names and just go look at the science of what happens to XY bodies. Oh, but reduce... nothing nothing's gonna erase yeah, your but, skeletal structure and it, your lung capacity. But no, with that blah. with that in mind, for example, I mean look at looking since you mentioned the name of your compatriot, what's your thoughts on on the things Hannah Muncie continues to go through? Yeah, just to Hannah. play on a team. I mean, just to play on a team. Poor Hannah. That, what even Hannah after going... all, even after all the number of the number of regulations that have been put in place, the number of ways that that governing bodies in Australia have worked to open up sport. Why is this still happening with her? The AFL, they are the only sport in Australia not to embrace. They, the Australian Rules Football League, which is the sport that I got vilified at, right? Mm-hmm. When I got vilified, this is the sport the AFL gave Kirsty. They they. I was outed from the game for three and a half years, and my partner, Nikki, no club would register us. No one would even let us go watch a game of football. And the AFL developed, without a doubt, the most discriminatory, the most harmful physically um, and medically policy that's ever been developed for trans people. And they don't include us in any conversations. Like, they didn't pick trans AFL players to, to develop their policy. They just picked some trans people to be the token trans that went along. They didn't. They picked people that would just rubber stamp this stuff. So the AFL, the way they treated Hannah, 
you know, that they, they want to put weight limit. They want to put how far a trans person can jump and run. And why don't they do it to every female in the competition then? You know, if they're so worried about a trans person running a certain time or lifting so many pounds, why aren't they measuring the other one? If it's really fear of strength and endurance advantages, well, let's test every girl. Everyone treat the same. But, so, but yeah, that, like, yeah, but that, that won't happen because they always see us as the outlier. They see us as the uh, the freak, and they're not going to give us the fairness that they claim for for uh, biological women. But you know, Dawn and Carly, where we we actually are gaining so much acceptance on the fields, like yeah, the competitors, girls. right? The yeah, other competitors. Yeah. Like yeah. there is trans girls playing a. A lot of people think Hannah Mouncey was the only trans girl to ever play AFL football in Australia. Hannah was probably about the hundredth and, and, and come along many, many, many years after others, you know. But unfortunately, the, 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 the media and, the, and these, these fruit, fruit loops that are attacking us, this religious mob, <laughs> they, they just like controversy and they pick the outliners, you know, because they won't pick on the trans girl that looks that passes, they're not worried, you know, and, and but they pick the outliners and they'll attack. If one, if a trans girl's tall, they'll focus on their tallness. Or if a trans girl's got big arms, they'll focus on her big arms. If a trans girl can run fast, they'll focus on that. They won't focus on that she can't catch the ball or she can't, you know what I mean? They pick on whatever strength we've got as a trans athlete, that one thing, and they'll they'll blow that out the window, and then they'll put a polar opposite example of a player standing next to Hannah. Now, there's girls in the competition bigger than Hannah Mouncey. I, I, there was one girl in the AFLW, 135 kilograms, 35 kilograms heavier than Hannah Mouncey, and this girl played in the top echelon of the game and, and was a star. There was no one complaining about her squashing girls and, and breaking bones. You know, it was Hannah because she was trans. Mm-hmm. You know, but I hear uh, that right. You had a, there is a player right now in AFLW who's at 135 kilo. That's okay. For all the people that are not metrified, that's 297.62 pounds. Yes, she was. in. That's the a lot team. coming at you on that pitch. <laughs> that's, a that, that's a lot. Well, I've played against girls here, 120, 130 kilograms. Wow. There's big girls, please. Hey, we got to take a break. That sound we hear means a small, short break, and we'll be back with more when Kirstie tells us about the state of the United States that she lived in and what it was like. See if you can guess while we listen to this commercial. And we're back here at the Transporter Room. We have a very special guest, Kirstie Miller. When it comes to people who, in many ways, were trailblazers as trans athletes. This is one of the names you have to put up. But there was a time when you lived in the United States. Which state did you live in? And what was the experience like? I actually lived in, in Texas, of all places. You know, um, <laughs> that, Why doesn't that surprise me, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually lived in San Antonio. And I, I, within San Antonio, I actually lived at Fort Sam Houston. And I lived on the Army barracks with the... American USA Olympic modern pentathlon team. So I lived and trained as an athlete and a soldier in Texas. So <laughs> no, no, what? No, okay, San Antonio. What city did San? What city in Australia would you say San Antonio mimics? In the in in the landscape, the environment, I would say like out here in Broken Hill, pretty much very dry arid, deserty sort of, and the temperature-wise. But in city-wise, I would say like Canberra because it was so beautiful. Um, so it was like real clean, the city area, the river walk. Um, I just loved it. Like I, I, I went back three times over three years, lived there about two years in, in total time. And my experience in, in, in Texas was brilliant, but I wasn't trans back then. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, one thing that's always inter- interested me is is modern pentathlon itself. 
what's it like to compete in that? Because it's and it, like in a lot of in a lot of sports and a lot of multi-event sports, they're very similar. They're very similar. But here, modern pentathlon is pretty much five very different things. I know it's based on classic European, like middle age, like um, Victorian ages, European warfare, but still, what was it like to be in a multi-event sport that was five very different things? Um, absolutely brilliant because I excelled in every sport that I did as a child. And I'll, I'll tell you how quickly I learned the pentathlon because the pentathlon is a type of sport that you don't normally excel at until your late thirties, because as a lot of it's a technical skill, i.e. the show jumping and the, and the pistol shooting and the, and the, the epee fencing. So, um, but I, I went in this event, which is a run swim event and went really well. I actually came third as a 13 year old and I was like six inches behind the current men's open world record um, holder and, and also a five time Olympian. So, they quickly snabbled me up and said, have you heard of modern pentathlon? And I said, modern what? And they told me that the modern pentathlon actually came from the medieval days. Um, you're actually designed to be the perfect king's messenger where you deliver a message. So you start on your, on your horse and then you, you might have to swim across a river and you have to shoot someone and fence along the way and then run the rest of the distance and, and deliver the message. So, and very much a military-type sport, and it's been in the Olympics since the very first modern Olympics. But what I actually competed from that day when I was first identified. Nine months later, I was competing in Madrid, Spain, in the under-21 world titles as a member of the Australian um, modern pentathlon team. And the first event was the show jumping, and I was the youngest ever competitor to be selected for any country to compete at a world title at 14 years of age. And everyone else is like 19, 20, 21. And I'm this little kid from Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, that's only been riding a horse for nine months, you know. <laughs> and we're at this indoor stadium in Madrid, Spain in 1980. And, and the three French riders got a clear round. There's three in each team for each country. And the first two Australian riders also got clear rounds so i was introduced to the crowd as the youngest ever competitor at a world title back then warren miller from wagga wagga and 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 i had to jump a clear round under a certain time for australia to to win the equestrian world title for and and to lead the modern pentathlon world championships at the end of the first day which never happened before australia were the minnows in pentathlon back then so we had the I had the world upon me, and it was telecast live in Europe, Britain, America. Like this is a big thing back then, and and I was pretty confident, young young sports athlete back then. And I thought I'm going to jump this clear round. I did. I jumped the clear round, and we and I got under the time, and we were winning the world. We were winning after the first day, and we won the equestrian world title, and we ended up being the highest ever finishing Australian team. I I came second out of the Australians and, and yeah, so it was a great sport, very hard to, to train in five different disciplines, but your fitness sort of covered you through most of them, you know, but we're training, you know, 18 hours a day sometimes, six days a week. So it was a lot of Dunkin' Donuts in my downtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tell, us, tell us what message you have for young trans athletes who see your example and say that, um, I don't want to have to go through male uh, athletic competition. I want to transition while I'm still young. What suggestions do you have for them in terms of how they can take advantage of uh, their 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 uh, their position of being young and transitioning? Well, firstly, if the young trans kids of today that go through the puberty blockers, number one, they're not they're not going to experience the thing that the people that are against trans girls like us. The male puberty, they're not ever going to have to experience that. So that that part, in actual fact, people are saying now trans athletes are going to explode and they're going to be everywhere since this 2015 amendment. That was five years ago. That was a long time ago, Sharon Davies, not just yesterday, 2015, <laughs> you know. Like, what a deal. And, and, and so 
these kids aren't going to go through the same thing, so they're not going to have the same arguments he's going to be able to use against them. And, and in another couple of generations, trans kids will be accepted in sport. They're being accepted at schools. They're being accepted in sports now in different places. So it's just the visibility, you know, the visibility getting out there in the street, like in the communities. Social media is not the real world. Like these things are happening and these things kids are achieving and kids are being accepted. It's just, you know, don't rely on social media. Get out and, you know, there is support networks out there. You know, it's tough. It's tough. There's no you, tougher. Yeah, you and I didn't have that support back then, back in the old days. We had none. We had none. But, you know, Dawn, I think it was easier back then because this woke community weren't, you know, that like it's like they've been to a school to be nasty, these people. And, and then they all use a common denominator in language, as you said before, biological woman, um, a danger to women, you know, uh, going to dominate. And all these language, and they're all just furfies. It's totally irrational fears. Now, and it doesn't matter how many times you'll, you, you'll repeat the, the history of trends in sport, these people bring up because one person won here or one won there. So I don't, how I survive is I don't even talk to those people. I don't even talk to them, right? They're not worth the conversation. You take along the people that are willing to listen and willing to evolve, and those people are growing in numbers. They're growing big time, and particularly big time where, like this stuff in sport, acceptance in sport expedites acceptance in the communities so if it can hate it can bring forward acceptance for the trans community if we can get accepted in sport decades it'll bring us forward so it can just really hasten things up which i saw in broken hill because when i got back on the field and then started actually playing the game and people realized that i wasn't stronger i actually had the softest hair and the softest skin <laughs> in the competition yeah i was about I was actually the princess, not the prince of the cop, you know. And mm -hmm. an example, I, 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 this young girl tried to tackle me in a game and she brushed off, but she brushed my skin, right? And, and then as we were talking, because in AFL there's a lot of downtime when the ball's down the other end of the ground, and she said, wow, you've got soft skin. How come? I said, what do you mean, how come? She goes, I thought you'd have real rough skin. I said, what, like a crocodile? And she goes, <laughs> yes. She said, because men have rough skin. I said, well, I'm not a man. I said, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what nice. happened. Yeah, and I said, I started taking the hormones and I educated this girl, right? Mm -hmm. And she listened and she learned. And mm -hmm. now this girl goes around and tells everyone that Kirsty Miller's got the softer skin and broken ill. You should feel her <laughs> hair. Like, yeah, she ain't no big tough guy. So you're still playing, you're still out there, you're still competing, you're still in sport. I'm playing again this year, and we're going to win the premiership. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have one more crack at it. Um, How old are you now? 55 next week. 55 and still, 55. hey. Hey, I'm score, a full, one, score I'm a one for us women up in, the, up in the years here. I mean. Oh, you're in your 40s. Stop it. I, 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 I play and? full forward, which isn't very hard. <laughs> and when I play soccer, it's goalkeeper. Yeah. So, I don't run much these days, you know. I hear you. I'm yeah, pretty I'm... good at marking it and kicking it. And But my partner, Nikki, she's a former Australian soccer representative. Oh. She played soccer for Australia as a 14 and 15-year-old. She's won the golden boot out here 35 times. She's wow. been the best it... and fairest in the league like 30 times. And, and they call it football down there too, right? Fo uh, we call it soccer. You call it soccer, yeah. so okay. Soccer, yep. And, and, but she's a star at soccer and AFL. Um, we met playing the game. They, actually, the first day we met, my team beat hers in soccer. And I remember the siren went, and I saw this girl, and I was mesmerized how beautiful she was. And Aww. I went up at halftime, and at the end of the game, put my arm around her, and, and I asked her out, you know. And and from that day forth, we, seven years on, we've been together. And so we met on the field, and we, we're going to get married on the football field. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 When's that gonna, when is that going to happen? It's going to happen this year. Okay. Yeah, it's going to happen this year. We're going to have traditional tucker. Um, we're going to have <laughs> we're going to have a soccer match. 
it's going to be my team versus Nikki's, and we're going to have a perpetual trophy every year of our anniversary. And Aww. and there's there's no dresses, there's no high heels, there's everyone's got to wear sporty clothes, and everyone's got to be now, prepared to have a game uh, is or there a date? Now, is there a date set for this? Are we thinking maybe Broken Hill weekend in September, October. I'll, I'll okay. get the date, but. Yeah, so we're looking at them. Carly's going to start saving up now. Carly's going to start saving up now. I think there's a trans. I think there's a transported room road trip. What do you? Yeah, think? I, 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 it's on my bucket list. It's on my I mean, bucket absolutely. list. Absolutely. The I mean, Tucker just... you were talking about before we started recording, Carly, I was regaling uh, Kirsty with the uh, legend of the Outback Restaurant. <laughs> oh, nothing like what. Nothing what they have there. <laughs> oh come on, that's not. That's not that. That's American interpretation of Australia. <laughs> don't buy into it i've been to i've been to the country three times you have I've oh well you've got real. one i've seen australia okay <laughs> i haven't been yet this is my bucket list i want to ask about israel falau mm. <laughs> well I israel like he he believes that a, a book deserves respect i believe people deserve respect more than a book you know, and, and he quotes this nasty stuff. And I'm really proud of Australian rugby for taking the stance that they did. Um, I'm really proud of Australian Rugby League. He said that he's not welcome there either because his type of hate is not welcome in, in sport, in the community. Um, and he, he's like people like him, they're getting less and less, you know, and, 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 and people are seeing the evil of, and the damage of what he can do because – He's got such a huge platform, you know, and the type of rhetoric people like him or Margaret Court spread, that's oh. heard by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I think of the poor trans kids that are still suffering like I was without being out and open that would hear this stuff or would hear, you know, my Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, spread gender whisper fears or, or Scott Morrison calling trans athletes heavy handed, oh. you know. Well, that like, Margaret so, Court, Carly just wrote about Margaret Court. And, yes, uh, I recently wrote an article on the whole situation. I'm just, no, one thing I do want to ask, kind of kind of away from sports, but I may have, have has your area, for example, been affected by the bushfires? No. And, okay, it hasn't been, but overall, how is the country, in your mind, how are people even there who may have relatives who are caught in that? How is the country, from being on the ground, how is the country coping with that? And let me the just country, add also that before you do, you know, this is touching America, too. We've had American firefighters heading down there and a plane crashed recently that killed three American firefighters. So, you know, we're with you and we want to know how we can help you, too. Well, one thing, like, everyone in Australia is touched. Like, it doesn't matter if you need the fires or not. Like, my father had fires one street from his house, you know, and every single Australian knows someone affected by it. And like you said, even you you girls and everyone out, are all around the world are feeling the effects and are feeling the pain, seeing the, the, the pictures that are coming out because what's happening in Australia at the moment is a lot of people are becoming awoke to the, the corruption of the government over here. And, the, and, and um, we just had a $100 million sports rort come out here where um, prior to the federal election last year that the, the, the government were giving out these grants to sporting clubs that didn't even exist, that were all for marginal seats. And so Australia's going through a really dull, a bad time at the moment. Everyone's feeling down. We've got the, these fires, like you said, we're seeing the devastation, not just in human loss, but the, the environment and the animals, you know, um, Australia's feeling pretty helpless right now. People don't see much hope for us. But it's not only that's the conservative government over here. They've, they've damaged our water over here. Like Broken Hill, the, the Murray Darling River, and Broken Hill is near the Menindee Lakes. The Menindee Lakes out here are nine and a half times the capacity of the Sydney Harbour. They're bone dry. Out here, we've had corruptions with the water. Now we've got floods. Last year, over a million fish, some 100 years old, were killed in the inland waterways because of mismanagement and corruption in the water. So Australia's feel really, feeling really down. We're, you know, we're normally Australian are the lucky country and the happy-go people. We're not seeing much hope here. We're really 
you know, we need the support of the world because it's a world issue. You know, what's coming from the emissions from these fires is going globally. It's going oh, yeah, circling the globe. Oh, Absolutely. yes. Yeah. So, and it's know, all because of climate change, they say. I've never felt Australia so down before, and I'm 55 yeah. years of age. It's really yeah, me too. Terrible. <laughs> um, There's nothing to celebrate this Australia Day. Nothing. Let's try and turn it to a happier topic. So uh, our show is called The Transporter Room, our podcast, because Carly and I are big fans of Star Trek and Star Wars and other science fiction. Is that something that you're enjoying? Do you enjoy science fiction? No, I'm a polar opposite. <laughs> I, I, all I'm interested in is sport, biographies, prisons, and, and my, my partner, Nikki, would love you on that stuff, but no, maybe not. But <laughs> well, I don't well, you know anything about that. Well, they, well, well, if you could do it, well, actually, if you could do me a favor, since we can get back on sport here for a couple minutes, you, you had said that there, there could possibly be an October wedding day. Absolutely. Uh, October looking for wedding an invitation. Day. Have you have you noticed yet that Carly's looking for an invitation here? Well, I'm just trying to see when this is going to be because well, October because October eighth is a very important weekend in Australia. What October eighth, it? it's Bathurst weekend. Oh, the Bathurst God. one thousand is the weekend is the eighth. Let's make it. It is, it is the, fill, it fill is, in the rest of the planet. It is the biggest auto race in Australia. It oh, is the it is the super okay. it is the super is the super cheap it's auto Bathurst one thousand. Oh, it's amazing! It's the, grand, it's the grand final of the Australian Touring Car Championship. Absolutely, excuse me, is. the Australian Supercar Championship now. And the, the the race track is what makes that that race. It's such amazing on a street track through the mountain and. Yeah. Yeah, it's got such beautiful, a history. It's beautiful Mount Panorama. <laughs> a unites a unites a nation, definitely, definitely that day. All right, it, we'll, we'll see if you can work it out that you can see the it, wedding it near that date, so Carly can get both. Actually, Ford versus Holden. I hear it divides because give it well, a little now, quick. Or now no Ford Holden. versus Chevrolet, I guess. Yeah, there's no Holdens here anymore. Like there used to be a jingle in Australia. Football, meat pies, kangaroos, and Roots holding, and holding cars. cars. Not anymore. <laughs> we don't make them anymore. Like Australia doesn't make anything. We we just sell coal and, and to like we're terrible. We should be like a lot greener. Australia should be focusing on you know um, scientific research and tourism and 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 other stuff. We shouldn't be digging coal out of the ground these days. Well. Oh, this has been a fun conversation. I am so glad that you were able to beam up to the transporter room and to give us a little bit of a view. <laughs> it was just great having you, and please keep speaking out. Absolutely. That's the big thing with that. Please keep speaking out, and please keep speaking on Twitter. I know you don't want to deal with a lot of the ignoramuses on Twitter. I understand that. But well, every, I, I every my... time you make a post, you make a point. And, and you might win over somebody, right? You might that, win over somebody. That is something. No, that is inspired. That inspires me to keep going. Seeing how you just bring the science and bring the knowledge and bring your own knowledge as, as saying, no, I've been, I've lived this. From I all that, that's what I try and do. I try and like in my life as a, I'm just a very logical person, and being a prison officer as well. Like when I had to write a report or something, it had to be a chronological recording of what happened, a contemporaneous history of, you know. So when I write stuff, I try to make it so the layman can also understand when I put in my personal photos or personal, you know, experiences linked with the support, with the, the science and research. So just I try and, you know, turn it around so the, the layman can understand and get it as well. This has yeah, been we're, great. All, we're all unique. It, it takes more than one or two of us. Like it takes a myriad of all our lived experiences. There's no one expert here in any of us. What we've all learned together, we share on a journey. You know, we're all learning along the way. So oh, you know, just because I know something, I'm no better than anyone else. I learn something on Twitter every single day, and it could oh, be from a young trans person that's been out two minutes or hasn't come out yet, or could be an ally or whatever. Like you know. Wow. That's a conversation that we must have. On that note, we say goodbye. Thank you so much. Wonderful way to end our podcast. I'm going to beam you right back down to New South Wales. Take care. Beam Christine. me down. Beam me down. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Bye. Get some sleep. I by the way, you both invited. Carly, I thought I heard as we were beaming her down, 
I thought I heard her say that we're both invited to the wedding. Hey, um, I'll figure out a way to get to Australia. <laughs> I'll have to hide in your suitcase. And I'll be calling Qantas. <laughs> <laughs> so I just watched last night the premiere of Star Trek Picard. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But okay, I've, but so I've no spoilers. But I've heard a lot of people say it's really good. From one friend of mine who has seen the first episode, they said in many ways it is, I mean, it's, it is very much vintage Star Trek in the sense of how it's approaching the story and how it's getting into the story. I loved it. I liked it even more than I liked Star Trek Discovery. Um, I thought Star Trek Discovery's second season was better than its first, but I still think Star Trek Picard has more potential. Maybe it's because of Patrick Stewart. But the one thing I will say is the reviews have been mixed. A lot of criticism have come in because it's slow, because it's not really building up to a lot of action. But you know what? I disregard all of that. I am a fangirl. I love Star Trek. And they could just have Captain Picard making tea Earl Grey hot for an hour, and I would watch it. I well, loved it. And I, look, I encouraged you to watch it so that we can talk well, about it uh, when we talk next week. Well, here's the thing I was looking at. Well, here's one of the things I look at. Right out of the gate, this is not going to be a slam bank start. No. no. Be, and it can't be because it's got to explain about what's been happening 19 yeah, years. It's right? got to explain 20 years of what's happened. And in that time, a lot's happened to the Federation. There's been change. Just like there's in America. Been a, yes, there's been a lot of change in that time. <laughs> and I mean, one quick note I'm already, a couple quick notes. One, I'm already looking forward to season two. <laughs> With, and I'm looking forward to Guinan coming back. Oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> yes, I love looking, it. Whoopi Goldberg. And also, secondly, I'm, I want to touch on real quick something that you ran into. What's that? On, on your that I believe it was like you you showed me this. It was I think it was on your Twitter, one of your social medias, where someone oh. actually said, <laughs> "Leave your politics out of my Star Trek." <laughs> and the response you had was, "Bro, do you even Star Trek?" <laughs> I mean, how Star Trek was all about, I mean, there was a- It's an allegory. It's an allegory. Yeah, Star Trek is supposed a, to take modern times and set it in a futuristic uh, frame so that we can yeah. examine our modern conflicts. I mean, that was Roddenberry 101. How do yeah. you miss that? But at another level, there was a, there was a post I read recently. It came, I think it came across my Twitter mm-hmm. where someone had said, if you're saying take all of the politics out of your favorite comics, out of your movies, take the politics out of, out of sports, my, take your politics out of Star Trek, you have completely missed the point of what made those stories good in the first place. Mm-hmm. You completely missed what made those stories good. Is Let me the, add to that, though. When people are saying take your politics out of blank and include sports, what they're saying is, your politics. I don't oh, want to hear yeah. your politics. Oh, they want to have Blue Lives Matter. They want to have uh, conservatives and uh, Republicans in their in their in their stories and in their uh, media and in their sports. They want to have the national anthem and the heroes, but they don't want to have anything progressive or liberal. That's the problem. Or socialist. Oh yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. I mean. Well. I mean. That's what it comes down to. They don't want any anything that's to the quote unquote left. They don't want that there. But the problem is it takes two wings to fly. That's it right. It takes two wings to have a society. I mean. Yeah. Well, tell that to the U.S. Senate. <laughs> well, oh, come on. You're, you're, are you really believing what we're – are you really believing that this is bad reality television, what we're seeing? If there, I mean, to me, but, but it shows the difference in our country. No way this flies in 1973. No, no. It was, it was there, a different country back then, different there's world. No way that, there's no way that – who, who will be – the Proxmire, the the William Proxmire, the Archibald Cox here. No, no one will be because yeah. I mean, Ted just, Cruz. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just sad. No, yeah, but, I agree. but in a lot of ways, I will say this: even as a person with my criticisms of the country that I have, and my criticisms of the of the system that I have, it's sad that we are actually having a show trial when we actually need to have a sober assessment of what really happened here. Because, yeah. no, there is a point. This is not just about this president. This is about the office of the president. This True. is about the office of the president. This is not just about this person running the system. It is about what type of, what type of country will we be? 
Well, when Fox News checks out and doesn't even show what's going on and leaves their largely uninformed audience in the dark about what's really going on, we're really hopeless right now in terms of being able to bring sides together. Um, I wanted to just end on this. Uh, for the folks who can watch us on video on the Facebook page, I see that you're in the middle of your move. You can see I'm in the middle of my classroom. I have just uh, finished teaching for the day, and it's now the mm -hmm. weekend. And we'll be playing this on the weekend. I wanted to encourage our listeners to make a suggestion on uh, how uh, Carly should uh, best move and what I should be teaching my students, okay? So what <laughs> we're looking for from you folks are suggestions on what Carly should do to move uh, most efficiently and successfully. And what do you think I should be teaching my students in my media course? Oh, that wouldn't be a bad idea. I'd love oh, to hear that. I know one thing. I know one thing you'd like to teach them. Give them that. Give them that. You that Manchester Union Leader article on the on the new on the New Hampshire debate over trans athletes. Completely show, biased. Yeah. Show them an example of when somebody when obvious. I mean that obvious is so biased. Ray Charles could see that bias. That's how <laughs> bad it was. Well, he's dead. But still. The point being that okay, New Hampshire fine. itself, the point Stevie is, Wonder could see it. But, but, but remember, that reporter is writing to a conservative audience, so he wrote to his audience. Yeah, so, but still, but still, I know, a I know. We, we're both journalists. I know. And granted, for example, you're more of the you're more on the liberal end of the spectrum. Well, my I'm, personal politics are, but I didn't have to write unbiased news. I don't have to no, inject my see, journalism but you, with. But you see, that's the point. Yes. You wrote. You you cover the story wherever the story leads. I cover the story wherever it leads. And I know I come from and I own every bias I have in my life. But still, journalism, the craft depends on covering the story where it leads and being a pro. And I agree. in that instance, that did not happen. No, I agree. The, part of the problem is, is that, well, say Outsports, for example. Now, we believe that trans women are women. We believe in inclusion. And we, we don't hide that. We, our writing reflects that. If you don't favor transgender inclusion, if you think that transgender women are biological males, you're going to think we're biased. And I would admit that we have a position rather than a bias. Yes, but, but here's the thing. I, I'll agree with that, but here's the thing. We are not... In, in talking about the uh, the opposition, we're not saying anything about them that's not true. Very true. We're not calling, we're not, I mean, the we're not word, calling them assholes. Yeah, when I hear, well, <laughs> no, but when I see, when I see in a news article, bio, when I see things such as a bill, a bill to let biological males compete as women, no. Yep. That, well, that they're mainstream media like, and they should have a greater responsibility. They should well, be. Yeah, that, that's your AP style. AP style book, the a, the current AP style book openly says it. That's not a term you use. That's right. It's a bias term. Yes. We, we could discuss this all day. I have a life to live. You do too. Um, I look forward to uh, talking to you again next week. Please catch up on Star Trek Picard so we can have a review. Okay. And uh, let's, uh, let's set coordinates for uh, the weekend. You got it. Steady she goes, Mr. Sulu.